We are going on tour. The Glamorous Trash Podcast and my book tour have collabed and we're coming to a city near you. Click the link in the show notes to to get all of the deets. We're coming to New York City on June 4th. We are kicking off an event with Jon Stewart. No big deal. That's our very first show in New York City. Then we're coming to Washington, D.C., Nashville, Chicago, Santa Fe, Albuquerque, Seattle, Portland, and Los Angeles. So get your tickets now. We are doing three different events because, you know, I'm always doing the most. That's just on brand, right? First, there's a glamorous trash party. It's the podcast meets the book tour meets Coachella, a live show featuring podcast segments, book segments, a very special guest. And of course, there's a runway walk at the end for people to show off their fits because the dress code to every event is obviously glamorous trash. We are also doing a cookie country club. It's the anti-country club country club. And it's very dreamy. You get like a bunch of products. There's little events. And it's a more intimate event where you meet other cookies and listen to a book chat with what me and another special guest. And then the final event, the Behind the Bangs Writing Workshop. I finally did it, put it together, put together this workshop because I wrote this book in many ways for younger me. And younger me would not have gotten off her couch unless there was also a workshop being taught. I wanted the gyms. I wanted I wanted the knowledge. I wanted the education. That's what I would have wanted. So I've decided I'm doing it. And in the workshop is going to be the six writing gyms that took me forever to learn. 15 years. In my 15-year career as a TV writer and author and blah, 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 all the other things I've written, there are six things that I always use, and all of those are in this workshop. So if you have an interest in writing, sign up. All the ticket links are live today. Click the show notes. Click my Instagram. We are coming to a city near you, and there's going to be some meet and greets. I'll sign some copies of books. We'll give out more books, and I have uh, some pieces of merch that I'm taking on the road, and I'm going to give them out at the shows. Welcome to Celebrity Book Club. This week, we're book clubbing This Is Just My Face, Try Not to Stare by Gabare Sidibe. Because at some point in history, if someone that looked like me was on TV, we were a maid or a slave. That has evolved, and because I have evolved, it is my duty to make sure that other marginalized people get to evolve as well. Now that I understand that, and now that I'm in my agency, I don't see any reason to turn back, and I don't f***ing have to. So we're going to get into the book, everything from her insane childhood to her starring role in Precious. It's such a good book. You really fall in love with her, which is so cool because we actually got to interview her. So Gabourey is on this episode at the very end. You will hear um, some of our interview with Gabourey. And listen, I hate to give spoiler alerts, but both of us did cry. (laughs) (laughs) So look forward to that at the end of the episode. She's really, really cool. And it all comes through in her book. So let's dive in to this episode. And please welcome my guest, total dream woman, Aisha Carr. Hi, Aisha. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, my God. It is a dream to have you here. So Aisha is a showrunner, a TV writer, producer, screenwriter. Her credits would take up this entire podcast. Um, She has been a writer and producer on Woke, REL, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, The Carmichael Show, Everybody Hates Chris, so many more shows I'm not even mentioning. She's also written some incredible movies. And Aisha, can we tell people what movie you're writing right now, or is it a secret? No, it's, it's totally out. Wait, okay, will you tell us what you're writing? 
I, lucky enough, got am getting to write the, they want to do an updated version of Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, which is one of my favorite movies. And it's for Will Smith and Kevin Hart. And it's, it's so huge. Excited. They're huge. It's, I'm excited too. You're it's, huge. <laughs> I mean, they're it's one of the huge. best movies of all time. <laughs> it is. And we're, we're going to really try. I think like, so one of the things on like all the deadline responses, you're going to ruin it. And we're going to try really hard not to respect the original but make it new and we everyone is coming to it with so much respect for the project also so ridiculous will smith and kevin hart you writing planes trains and automobiles <laughs> like there's no way to ruin that it's only a gift to us there, so there's, thank you. yes there's no i mean they just are just gonna be hilarious together <laughs> Oh, my God. Also, that's you have to love Hollywood where you're like, we're doing an incredible project. And everyone's like, boo, we've never seen it yet, Um, which is great because we're going to get into this book, how people are psychos on Twitter and everyone has a stupid opinion. So I introduce all my guests with the story of how we first met. And Aisha, I have to say, I think I blacked out our first meeting because um, Aisha is a very close friend of my beloved Yasser. And one of the things I really was drawn to him in the very beginning stages of dating is that I I could tell he had some really great women around him. And I knew you were one of his closest friends. And I just thought that said so much about his character. And that said, I was so nervous to meet you because I knew how important your opinion would be. Um, and I like just really wanted you to, to like me. And so I know we were at a restaurant, but that's kind of all I remember. Did we all go out to dinner to Mastro's? Was that it? So I, Yasser, I truly can't remember. So, yeah, I, this is what it is. We asked, and you had just gotten off a plane. Okay, it's all coming back That's now. right. So you okay. were in New York. You guys are dating at a distance, and Yasser is just one of my favorite people and is family, and so anybody he's dating, I want to know. But I also already knew how funny you were. And, like, so just to dish on, like, one of the things Yasser said about you that um, that, uh, I don't know. He's probably told you this, but he was like, no matter what happens, she's the funniest person I've ever met. And like legitimately funny. And I was like, wow. And that says a lot. Um, so we went to dinner. You just got off a plane. Yasser used to make us go when dinners were a thing. We would go to Mastro's like every month or something. And like, it would be the yes. whole family. It's his mom. It's his model boys. It's everybody. And Yasser doesn't eat meat. <laughs> <I don't, laughs> but he loves steakhouses. And so we all go and eat a ton of meat. And he just sits there and eats sides. Um, but that was the first time we met. And I was so excited to meet you. And I knew how happy Yasser was. And that is all that I ever needed. Well, wow. Well, first of all, thank you for passing on that funny thing. You know, as a comedian, talking about a fellow comedian, if you think they're funny, it odds was, are the relationship might work. <laughs> and it was said like real serious, like no matter what, I, like no one can take away how wow. funny. Yeah. I want that engraved on something. Um <laughs> Well, I yeah, I fell in love with you, and I immediately was like, I know she's your best friend, but now I want to make her mine. <laughs> um, and and now you are, and I've commandeered you onto my podcast. Yes. So, okay, Aisha, when I sent out the list of books uh, to choose, you immediately chose Gabourey. What made you choose this book? So I had read it, and I was working with her on something when she was writing this book, and we had this dinner where... I think we both cried. 
And so I love in the book where she's always like, I just went home and cried. I'm pretty sure we cried at dinner. And it was like a rainy night. She just moved here. She was working on the book. And there's something about her that I don't know if people know from like the role she plays, but just how strong and funny and confident and like just, just, she just has this thing about her where you're like, this is the person that's going to do it. And so I was like, of course, uh, that's the book I want to read and talk about. Yeah. And this is such a special podcast episode because we're talking about the book of someone you are actually close friends with and who we will interview later on this episode. So that's what makes this so special. And it's so cool to read it this way. So I usually read page one, but with this one, I want to start with a little paragraph on page three. Um, And it's talking about how people dress up as her on Halloween in her character (gasps) Precious. And this is what she had to say. I am really clear about the fact that while I played Precious, she's not me. We may have the same face and body, but we stand for two completely different things. Precious is a survivor, and I refuse to be anyone's survivor because I prefer to think of myself as a winner. Okay, so I... (laughs) I loved that. Oh, do you have? Oh my God, you have that highlighted. Yes, yes. That's the thing. It's such a subtle line. Like it's not like it's so subtle. But when you step back, you're like, how powerful is that? Fuck you. I'm not going to be your. So I'm not surviving you. I'm beating you. And it just is like so yes. nuanced. And that's what's like those gems in this book. I really I, that fully changed me because you know I I I thought of myself as. A victim in situations, a survivor in situations, and now I'm like, no, that I want to win. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm not going to settle for that anymore, and I need. I'm going to go do the work to actually be the winner. That, it's the really distinct thing about this book is that it is so so funny. It's so funny that you don't even realize the level of dark shit she's taking you through. There are a lot of books that are like, here's my dark childhood. We've we've read them on this podcast. This has probably the darkest shit I've ever read in a memoir. And, and you don't even realize it because she's so funny and she's so honest and she's dropping lines like this. It's, it's a weirdly easy read for some of the shit that's coming for us. <laughs> it doesn't even seem like the really, the thing that we'll obviously talk about, but the trauma in our childhood when you're reading it, it's there's there's like a effervescence to it. You're laughing and you're and then you're like, oh, wait a minute. That's wait a terrible. Minute. You're saying some crazy shit. Well, and also, there's no ghostwriter. There is no ghostwriter. This is the first one I've encountered. There are other books that don't have a credited ghostwriter, but it turns out they did work with someone. Gabrielle wrote this book all by her fucking self. No ghostwriter. I, I it's it's incredible cuz as I was reading it, I was like, how is this so in her voice? It's 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 incredible. She starts the book with a just immediately very honest name-dropping story, which is that Andre Leon Talley, a famed fashion editor at Vogue, um, and a black man who was bullied about his weight by all the Vogue, you know, people, he calls Lee Daniels, and he's like, I want to put Gabourey on the cover. But he keeps screaming, I'm going to put that fat black bitch on the cover of Vogue. And he's over and over again, he's screaming it. And it's like meant as celebratory, but it's also wildly demeaning. And Gabourey overhears this phone call. And immediately in the book, names names Andre, <laughs> names Lee, <laughs> who Lee Daniels is the director of Precious and the show Empire and many other shows. And, and she loves him. He's a big figure in her life. And she's like, yeah, I overheard you guys saying this stuff about me. Um, and then she ends the chapter saying... She, 
they, he never put her on the cover of Vogue, but lists all the other magazines she's been in. And she says, I consider it a win for fat black bitches everywhere. Andre Leon Talley included. <laughs> and that's that's her being a winner. Yeah. <laughs> because she shaded yeah. him while also kind of going high. It's like she both goes low and goes high at the same time. She's very petty. She's very petty. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I think that's like, you know, the thing that she has to talk about, that she does talk about mostly in the book, is how her appearance is what people go to first. And it's like, it's so, it's terrible. And it's one thing if you're saying that to somebody you know, but even then, fat, black, and like, it's not... I know we can be queens, we can kiki, we can shade, whatever, but that's not what that line is. No, not at that, all. That is a self, that's because he hates himself. And yes. that's, it's like, that's why you're lashing out. Because otherwise you'd be like, I'm going to put that beautiful black woman on the cover. Like there's so, you know, that was self-hate from when, what I heard of it. Yes. And I think she absolutely got him. She's like, this is you hating yourself, has nothing to do with me. Also, he didn't put her on the cover. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but that's how the book starts, just full in right away. Then in chapter two, this is when I was like, oh, I'm I'm in love with her. Chapter two starts about how she and her mom, every time they see each other, discuss how they would face a rape and 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 how they would face their assailant and get out of being raped. And I was like, this is incredible. Um and one of the things that bummed me out, though, is that one of her plans in there is, like, I would pretend, like, oh, sure, he wants foreplay. So I'd be like, let me go down on you. And then when I'd go down there, I'd bite his dick. And I was like, oh, no, that's my plan. <laughs> and do people know about this plan? And do I need to get a new plan? Um, but, but, you know, bite his dick and run with it after you're, like, I'm I think, in on it. I think dick biting, I think most women are imagining is one of their escapes for, you know, these ra- these rape scenarios that are in our head. Um, yes. And I don't know if you remember, but it was on Grey's Anatomy. Do you remember that on Grey's Anatomy? No, no so, I didn't watch Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> season one of Grey's Anatomy, there's a woman who gets raped and she bites the end of the dick off the and like she has to carry it around and then the rapist it, but so dick biting is a hot, I think on top of women's okay lists. that's yeah that's a number one go-to interesting because I have um at any given time I probably have like five things of mace on me and I have like little poke I mean I just I just everywhere <laughs> um and in my head I'm still you know I'm like how do I spray the mace in the dick these are things I think yeah. about so I really like that she covered that yeah. <laughs> um, a huge thrust of this book, and, and it, it starts in the beginning, but it's it's throughout the book, is how she was extremely depressed and emotionally volatile and had an eating disorder and she's suicidal. And at 22, she goes to the doctor at her college. And th- and this is a miracle. This is this is an incredible story. Her the person she sees gets her into a therapy plan where she goes multiple times a week and because of her like college insurance it's paid for she goes to group therapy and she does something called DBT which is dialectical behavior therapy uh they uh, online the description is an evidence-based psychotherapy that began with efforts to treat borderline personality disorder but um can be useful in treating mood disorders suicidal ideation and a change in behavioral patterns such as self-harm and substance abuse and she was really suicidal not borderline and the program she was like really helped her it like pulled her out of this horrific place um and that's a big part of the book and her getting therapy which is like 
my crack cocaine journey. Like anytime someone can be like, I was at the bottom of my well and then I found this therapist. (laughs) I'm just like, that's, that's my shit. (laughs) This story, what this story says to me is just like, this is essentially who she is. She was a not wealthy, young black woman, young black girl. And Nobody in her family knew to get therapy. Nobody in her family talked about mental illness. I'm sure nobody in that world did. And But she knew, she was like, this isn't right. I have to go fix this. That part to me is so crazy because I'm like, nobody's talking about therapy in her house. Yeah, and even more than that, her mom, I... She's so honest in this book, and she loves her mom. Her mom is a great character, but she also talks about the horrible things her mom did. Among one of them, she tells her mom she's extremely depressed and suffering, and her mom doesn't believe her. And is like, that's not real. You're not depressed. Yes, and that's that's wrong on our level now, but I, her generation— it was like it. What it just wasn't a thing. Black kids didn't have to. It was. A, it's. It's something. It, you have too much time on your hands uh, when you're dealing with life and survive. Like it just was not a thing for black families. Um, and yeah. that. So I. You know. Yes, it's terrible. But I also understand it, and I think that's what the push is now with black people getting therapy because we need it more than anybody. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> we like one of the things is like when we get to be like 10, it's like we should have therapy in school. Like every black kid gets an hour of therapy a week sometimes too. Oh my God. That needs to be Kamala's first mandate. That, that right. Like, yes. <laughs> Could we just put all black children in therapy? They need it. Um, so that, but, and the, the way that she does it so definitely is when she says, when they asked her if she was suicidal, she said, I, I, when she says, she's like, ah, not really, but I know how I do it. So it's like- Yeah, this- she goes, meh, meh. I'm not going to do it yet, yeah. but I know what I will do. Right. You know, it's just kind of funny and you're kind of like, oh, well, that's not that bad, but really it is. Oh, that's even worse. You're not even passionate about <laughs> about not doing it or doing it. Yeah. And I, I, I agree with what you're saying about her mom and it's, I also think it's a coping tactic for older generations. Like you, it, it, if you accept that your child it wants to commit suicide, you have to accept all these horrific things that are taking place around you. And it's often easier to not accept those things, not accept them as real, because that's how you survive day to day. Because if you take yeah. it all in, that is that's too much. Yeah. Um, I, but yeah, but she gets herself into therapy in a world where like, a are like bad that's not real. Ass therapy group. I mean, I love. Yes. Well, so I was the happiest person at SAD camp. Like, and she and yeah. she did it. Like, I, I love that. I also love that. And again, like, she's talking about wanting to commit suicide, uh, but it's so funny you barely realize it. And so I also want to say I I recognize the skill of making your pain funny so that other people have the capacity to hear you. And she has that at like a hundred. <laughs> like yeah. she's she's incredibly skilled at this. Yeah. Um, so then she goes into the story of her parents' marriage, which is <laughs> so crazy. It is so crazy. So to quickly sum it up, um, her mom, <laughs> her, her mom uh, marries her dad. Her dad is a cab driver from Senegal. He, she marries him so that he can get a green card. He pays her money. And she's like, he seemed like a good guy, wanted to help him out. So she marries him for this green card. She 
doesn't date him. They don't sleep together. She waits a year to even have sex with him because it's a business transaction at first. But when he takes her back to Africa, she, she falls in love with him, or as Gabourey says, she falls in love with being in Africa and decides, like, oh, I do want to be with you. They have two kids, Gabourey and her brother. But then her dad is becomes horrible to them. And she's constantly like, I'm not having more kids with you. You're a horrible person. He's horrible in so many ways, just including calling Gabourey Fatso when she's a kid. Um, and he's her dad. And then, okay, so then the story gets crazier. So Gabourey's <laughs> dad is Muslim. He believes in multiple wives. Behind her mom, Alice's back, he takes a trip home to Senegal, marries his first cousin, Tola, and it's a secret. Then he comes back home and he's like, hey, I have a friend, you know, I have my friend Tola. Um, I'm not an American citizen. So Alice, can you write a letter inviting Tola over to America (laughs) and my friend can come stay with us? So her mom invites Tola over. Uh, Tola comes over and starts living with them. And it's, but he's secretly married to her. He's secretly married to her and having an affair with her, even though she lives in the house with them. (laughs) And it's this big, long thing that stays hidden until one day Alice confronts Tola and she's like, hey, remember that baby that came over once and you guys were like, meet this baby. It's just like this baby we know. Is that your baby? Is that your baby with my husband? And is it a bastard baby? And Tola, being a Muslim woman, finds the concept that her baby would be a bastard so offensive that she admits <laughs> she is secretly married to him. She's like, no, we're married. And that's how Alice uh, leaves the marriage because she'd been wanting out for a long time. And I guess she like has to make this affair come out and then she can leave. <laughs> it's also like so insane of like, what are you? What is the man thinking? And you have to know Alice didn't give a fuck about him at that point to let it happen. She was kind of like, I don't, I don't even want to look deeply into what's happening. Um, and then I think there was one time, and I, I, I think I highlighted it where like she went over when Tola they got Tola house apartment, and she went over there one morning, and the 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 dad's clothes were on the side of the bed and he, and he was like, no, nothing's happening. And it's just like, I just got tired and spent the night. They have to know that we're smarter than them. So I just am like, and how stupid are you? If you think that's going to convince me (laughs) that (laughs) it just is like, so the, the cheating of it all is just crazy. But I have to think that the mom, you know, she does go into a thing of what happened and why, the mom had to like carefully get out because the dad had called child protective services on the mom before. And so she was, she was biting her time. So I think she knew. And I think she She was just like, yeah. Yeah. I think she was like, this is, I'm in a horrible situation and he'll ruin my life if I leave. So I'm going to wait for this affair to come out where he's married to his cousin behind my back. uh, Yes. And then I can leave. So the story about him reporting the mom is really tough. Um, Her mom and her dad get in a fight. And to get back at her mom, Gabourey's dad reports the mom, reports Alice for sexually abusing the children. So child welfare services come. They take Gabourey and her brother out of the home. They separate them. They put them in separate foster homes. While Gabourey's in this foster home, she also gets her school picture taken. So her new foster parents, (laughs) these two ladies, like, cut her hair, and they're like, go have your school picture taken. Imagine having one of your your school pictures be, like, the day you were at a foster home. Um, I'm laughing uh, because it's so upsetting. It's deeply, deeply upsetting. And again, Gabourey's writing this with jokes throughout. Um, 
And so her dad, but you know, she realizes like your my dad put me in foster care. Yeah. And it takes her mom, her mom has to like go and prove and her dad has to come and be like, I lied until they can get out of these foster homes. And she really yeah. never forgives her dad after yeah. that because he did this horrible thing to them. Um then, okay, so every almost every celebrity memoir has a uh, female memoir has a psychic moment in it where they talk about a psychic they saw. It's my favorite moment. And this one's incredible <laughs> because the psychic that Gabourey sees is Tola. <laughs> Tola, the first cousin wife, works as a psychic. Um, and so Gabourey uh, gets a reading from Tola and Tola tells her she's going to be famous one day. And she also like tells her Oprah. weird things. Yeah, and she's like, you're going to meet Oprah, you're going to be famous. And Cabaret's like, that's psychotic. She also says things like, you're going to marry a Muslim man and be a good housewife, which which uh, she's like, okay, that's bullshit. But she's told she's going to be famous when she's a kid by her dad's secret wife. Uh, great, great moment. Yes. Then, okay, so then there's a chapter on her hair. And I found a lot in common with Gabrielle Union's book and Tina Turner's book and just detailing the extreme torture black women go through with their hair and these horror stories of like burning your scalp, burning your hair off. Yeah, I mean, that women, black women in hair, it is it's so nice now like to see us embracing it and embracing the styles and all of the and like as our hair should be. Even I, listen, I had the Brazilian in for five years and it was so easy. I loved it. But then my daughter thought her hair should be straight. And I was like, well, fuck, oh, now gosh. I got to fucking oh, my gosh. My hair. <laughs> now, and then I remember the first day she saw like one of my curls. She was like, oh, your hair is curly. And I was like, yes. Yeah. So it is so important now like to like talk it through. And then also like how bullied we are. I love the one where she like goes to the store and the woman is like no this is the color your hair should be and it's just like always being told something other than like or that we don't know enough about what our hair should look like um yeah it's such a beautiful story in that it is a really beautiful story and okay so then she has uh, a chapter where she's it's kind of throughout, but she talks about worrying about money as a child and cutting corners on your own because you know your parents are struggling. And I I, I also really related to that, where, like, when you become aware of stuff like that, you start making decisions as a child that probably your parents don't even know you're making. I think for her, like, when you're, when you're living in one room with your mother and your brother, it's, like, it's hard not to think, oh, well, we clearly don't have enough money and, like, <laughs> let me, you know. So she... She's a sensitive person, I think, and she just internalizes everything. I think that's why getting to therapy was so good because she would just, like, take things on and just, like, they would be in her heart. She's also so sensitive. Like, everything made her cry. So I think she's just one of those people that is, like, can feel a little bit when when there's, you know, some people can feel like, oh, that person is upset or, like, I... I feel it on my inside. And I think she's one of those. And so I do think yeah. her mom probably was very worried about money. And I think she took it on. Oh, yeah. And I will say, as a fellow, you're too sensitive person. <laughs> pa- pa- have I been described as a raw nerve before? A walking raw nerve? Yeah, maybe I have. Um, I want to say that... You're like, a very cute one, though. <laughs> oh, thank you so yeah. much. Um, and I'm so sensitive, but... Um, I want to say perhaps we're very sensitive. Also, perhaps we're normal. 
I mean, her dad is secret married. She's <laughs> around the mistress. Um, her mom's extremely worried about money. They move into a one-bedroom apartment where her mom and her brother share a bed. That's how little space they have. Um, her dad's a cheater. She's being made fun of at school. Her parents call her fat. Like, maybe she's and just the, a normal person. The aunt's not being nice either, obviously. Oh, yeah. The so we got to talk about the ants. Not like welcoming them. Like they're, there's, it's like, yeah, you, I'll help you. But in the least, the least thing I can do is what I'm going to do. Well, okay, so Aunt Dorothy, real villain of the book, um, when her mom finally leaves her dad, they move out of their small apartment into a single room inside Aunt Dorothy's house. Dorothy is her mom's sister. And yet she's like, Y'all aren't allowed to leave this one room. You can't be in other parts of the house. You can't have a key. Um, She says, we were latchkey kids without a key. So if they came home and their mom was at home, they'd just have to stand outside for hours. Um, And then Dorothy's like, give me $800 to live in this single room. I'm really not a fan of The house was big, right? There were stairs. Like, it seemed like it was a house. Like, it wasn't. It, she, I don't remember. She called it a house or an apartment. But it seemed like there was space. Yes, there was definitely space, and they weren't allowed to leave the single room. So yeah. cruel. Okay, so then one, an incredible chapter in the book. Um, her mom quits her job as a teacher and begins, this is her new job, singing in the subway. Literally every day goes to the, goes into the subway and sings. She And Gabourey's horrified. She's like, you're quitting your job. And here's something super sad. Her mom, singing in the subway, makes four times as much as she did teaching. And it's still not a lot of money <laughs> at all. So it's not like, oh, my God, she makes so much money in the subway. No, she was she's making very little money in the subway. And yet it's still four times more than she made teaching. Yeah. And this chapter on her mom is so wild. Yeah, no, she's, like, pretty famous. And... I also like that I think is the um the thing that the mom had that passed on to Gabby um Gabourey cuz yes she loves her name and then she I there's a chapter where she had to adopt Gabby but she loves Gabourey um of like of just even in like the face of like just no support going after your dreams like that is what her mom did her mom was like I want to be a singer and I'm going to sing and I'm going to sustain myself on the singing thing. And that is, um, and she supported two kids doing that, you know, and like that, just that ability to do that, I thought was so beautiful. And her mom, there was so much in the book about her mom's confidence um, and just about the, in the hair thing, there's just this year that her mom like dyed her hair red. And there was this one day where she was wearing a red coat and a red boots and da da da. And she picked Gabby up from school and Gabby was just like, my mom is the coolest thing in the world. Whatever that source of inner power, confidence, whatever, she gave that to Gabby. Uh, Gabby. And so it's just like, it's, it's so obvious. And Gabby even says she doesn't think she has a fraction of what her mom has, but she goes after all her dreams and, you know, so you want to definitely like go have drinks with her mom. Like, I want to, I want to hang out with you. I mean, dyeing your hair purple at the, like when you had a, a kid in like the first grade that, I mean, I feel weird as a mom saying some things that I've said just out. Cause I'm like, Ooh, moms don't say that. I mean, that's just badass. So badass. And the chapter on her mom deciding to become a singer and how she spends years in the subway becoming, you know, pretty famous is astonishing. Because, you know, we, we we pass by performers in the subway and you always wonder what their story is. And now oh. we know 
Alice's story. She's Gabourey's mom. And it's so wild. You know, she clocked into that like a day job. She would go into the subway at 9 a.m. and sing all day and leave at 5 p.m. And when I was book clubbing this and putting up pictures of her mom and videos of her singing, people on my Instagram recognized her and were like, I remember hearing that woman sing, you know, in Times Square on on whatever train because she has a really incredible, memorable voice. And like, that's how well known she is. And then it's like, yeah, that's that's always been Gabourey's mom. And later, her mom goes on America's Got Talent. She now has an album out. She tours around. It's really, really oh incredible. God. It's just a, such a cool story. Okay, so we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, an amazing chapter on red carpet fashion and how Gabourey books the role Precious, which changes her life. Sibling fights are unavoidable, but what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince William and Prince Harry. They were each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother. But that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wondry's podcast, Disintel, is hosted by comedians Sidney Battle and Matt Balasai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle, or was it something that started much earlier? Follow Disintel on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. I started this podcast because I have been obsessed with memoirs my entire life, and I can't believe it, but I got to write my own, and it comes out on June 4th, and you can order it right now. The book, you know, I was asked to describe it, and I said, it is an absolutely harrowing, traumatic memoir, but funny. So if that sounds good to you, order it. Let me give you some topics that are in this memoir. A female best friendship breakup. How I got my break into Hollywood. When I found out my dad was not my real dad. The time I dated a magician. Are those last two related? Who's to say? Read the book. Growing up in Utah. Growing up around cults. How I got into therapy. Listen, I could keep going. Each chapter title is a different woman's name in my life. Some are heroes. Some are motherfucking villains. But you know what? A villain and a hero, what are both of those things? A leading role. And we do love women in our leading roles. So pre-order the book. It matters a lot. I linked everywhere that you can buy it in the show notes, but you know, go anywhere. Also, I am reading the audiobook personally. So I'm personally narrating it. So if you like this podcast, get my longest podcast ever. And the audiobook is also available for pre-sale everywhere you get audiobooks. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast. You are the reason I got to write a memoir. So thank you so, so much. Welcome back. Um, a quick note before we dive back into the episode. Um, this episode was actually delayed because uh, we had a slight technical issue, and you'll hear what I mean later in this segment. The audio is going to change a little bit, but we really wanted to bring you this episode and know that um, as soon as we get through the book recap and bring Gabourey in for the interview, the sound um, gets a lot better and goes back to normal. Thank you guys so much for understanding. We're, you know, we're still in the launch stages of this podcast. So, um, okay, back to the episode. 
So Gabri has this really fun chapter about how when you get invited to your first red carpet event, no one helps you. Like, no one's there to be like, oh, here's the store that celebrities buy dresses from. Like, here's how you get super fashionable things. And then on top of that, like, you don't have money yet. Like, again, it's your first red carpet event. So you're just breaking in. You can't afford a stylist. Like, I, you don't even know how to contact them. But you're, like, supposed to go walk this red carpet. Not a joke. I walked my first red carpet in sneaker heels and Gabourey did it in Payless shoes. And she has this great photo of her at an event for Precious standing in between Paula Patton and Mariah Carey just in gowns. And she's in a casual dress. (laughs) It's so good. And that... The reason that picture is so amazing is because they are so, they could be wax figures of themselves. Like, it's so clear that they are polished up. They're, they've, like, figured out their perfect angles and all of this. And, like, they are doing this thing. And Gabby's just in the middle, like, ah. Yeah, and the invite said it was casual, which is such an L.A. thing. Like, they always lie and say, like, oh, it's casual. And you get there, and everyone's, like, in fucking gowns, and you're like, what the hell? Or they'll be like, oh, you know, this is a nice, elegant event. And then everyone's in designer jeans, and you're the idiot in a full-length dress. Um, all, all the Everywhere I go, I'm always over underdressed. And Gabourey also had this mistake where she believed the event was casual, so she put a dress over, like, leggings. I think it's just capri pants, she said. I think they're jeans. <laughs> oh, my God. Even better, jeans. Um, One thing I really loved is that she said that Monique kind of realized she didn't have a stylist, so for the big, big premiere, Monique has her hair and makeup team style Gabourey for the premiere, which is such a cool story of, like, a veteran looking out for the newbie and, like, women helping other women. I really liked it. But then it also made me be like, what the fuck is everyone else associated with the movie doing? Like, this is the literal star of the movie, and no one was like, hey, need me to schedule a stylist or something? No, it's terrible. I I didn't know, so I didn't you know, when I moved to LA, I didn't know anybody in the entertainment industry. And I, if someone at that point, and that's how Gabby did a movie, but she had never been in the entertainment industry before. So there's just no way for you to know every, like how much happens to get, I mean, and it's so crazy. It's like that you have classes that they teach you what your best pose and angle is. There, There's so much taping and sp- putting away of stuff there's this like you're like oh put this little fat pocket in your pocket here and like it's just like everything and like the before like you go to a hotel and like they slather stuff on you to hide your cellulite I mean there's no way you know what happens in those hotel rooms prior to events until you've seen what happens in those hotel rooms prior to events and it's fucking insane it's I mean women don't eat for so yeah it's that I think what's sad about that is just this idea of what women are supposed to look like. And whenever I see those things, I'm like, how the fuck are you sitting down? Like, what are you now doing? You're going and sitting in a shitty chair for an hour uncomfortable while some dude is just in a tux next to you? It's just like, it's like, that shit is pinching. It's, I am, I love people that are into fashion. Kudos to you. But I just also just need, women just need to be able to be human sometimes. 
well, we should get the choice. You know, like I, I you know me, I love to dress you up. You love, yes. I wouldn't say yes. what I'm doing is like fashion per se. Like I love to look sort of like drag queen <laughs> tangential, but like that's look, my yeah. choice. You know, like I'm wearing 19 pounds of makeup and strapping my tits to my chin uh, because I want to. But if I wanted to walk in in one of my like Leonardo DiCaprio dad bod loose tuxes, like that should also be one of our choices where everyone like accepts it. And it's normal. Yes. Okay, so then we go into the next section of the book. She talks about a lot of stuff, like this death hoax that goes on about her that's born out of, like, fat shaming, and then also kind of how she struggles with money and becoming, like, the breadwinner for everyone and how her family always hits her up for money and, like, they Google her and they're like, what says on Google you're worth $2 million? So, like, can you just, like, give us money? (laughs) Um, Which is so crazy that Google is allowed to, like, say how much money is in your bank account because they're truly guessing... Um, And then she has a great section about Twitter and how maddening Twitter is, which, of course, I related to. And then she puts a puts like a bunch of tweets in the book that she's like, I can't post these online because people are so stupid and they'll say things to me. But like, I want to share my jokes with you. And Aisha, you also have a tweet that you said you can't tweet. And I want to hear it. Oh, my God. So I well. My so my tweet that I can't tweet. So I've been do posting more stuff on Instagram and like whatever becoming whatever that is. And so I was thinking of like quotes of things to say. And I have this one that I love so much, but I'm like, oh, um, here is the quote: um, "Keep your circle like your pussy tight." <laughs> <laughs> I love that. You need to post that. I love that. I mean, I'm a mom. I mean, it's what other moms need to know that in the rooms where I'm allowed to say shit like that. But then it's another thing for like the one super religious mom to be like, you shouldn't say pussy. Some people think pussy is a bad word. I don't, I curse. They're wrong. They're wrong and they're dumb. And they won't know it's not a bad word until it's on their Instagram feed from a woman they respect named Aisha Carr. Look, religious women deserve um, to keep that circle and that pussy tight. They um, do. And it's they like do. you should know. You should, and you should keep your circle tight. And you, yeah. That's good advice. And I wish I had heard that advice from you uh, <laughs> many years ago. Because <laughs> it's tough. I'm a very, like, open person. Anyone can be my friend. But you can't trust people. No. Yeah. I mean, I always... I And so, of intuition and psychic ability... I do think like every woman has like a, a, a thing about it. My thing is whenever there's certain people I meet that I'm like, oh, this is going to go bad. And I always, and it's, oh, and it's not with everybody. It's with certain people and it always does. And I'm always like, why? And I never listen. Uh, but I always remember the moment when I, re- in my head, I go, oh, this is going to go badly. And I always get hurt. Yeah, it's <laughs> I, it's so true, Aisha. And I'm also not good at listening to it because, you know, you're like, oh, maybe I'm having a bad day. Maybe I'm being judgy, whatever. But I will say one thing I have gotten better at, thanks to my therapist, is (laughs) if you hang out with someone and you leave and you feel bad, just pay attention to it. And that's what I've gotten better at, where it's like, oh, I always feel bad when I hang out with them. I don't need to understand it. I don't need to make a judgment on it, but I do need to stop hanging out with you (laughs) because it's my body knows it's not good. Yeah, Um, your body tells you. Your Um, body tells you. Should we um, read some of these? Because they're funny. Oh, yeah. Read your faves. 
Let me see. Um, this, this I think is so funny and I understand why she can't tweet it. Look, I don't care for dinosaurs. If I can't ride one, what do I care what lived billions of years ago? You don't even know it had, you didn't even know it had feathers until like three years ago. Mind your business, stupid. Exactly. And that's what I love when she says about Twitter. That's just a funny joke. You should be able to tweet it, but someone would be like, actually, they don't have feathers. They're called blah, blah, blah. And ruin it and ruin the fun. Um, Okay. So Aisha mentioned earlier her name and how she loves her name. It's a really, really beautiful story. And, and it made me think a lot about, I don't know, just how special this is and how special a a name can be. So I want to read, I want to read a page that describes it. My name is actually a Turendo, T-U-R-E-N-D-O, in case I pronounced it wrong. Uh, A word that in Wolof means namesake. I was named decades before my birth, before dad's marriage to mom, and before he was even a grown man. My name is and has been Gabourey since his childhood. It's the delivery of a promise dad made to a woman who loved and helped to raise him, Gabourey. And his dad had a horrific childhood himself. His parents didn't love him. And there was a really loving woman named Gabourey who was kind of his only source of love and support. And she took him into the house. And he said, uh, my first daughter will be named after you. And I love the idea that you were named, you've always been Gabourey. You've been Gabourey before you were born and how it's this beautiful promise she fulfills with her name and yet goes through so many things of people not being able to pronounce it or wanting to call her Gabby. And she says in the book, it's Gabourey, it it rhymes with Cabaret. And it's like, pretty easy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Um, names are... It also, it was like she was a prophecy. Like that was the other thing. It was like her life was a prophesized, you know, years before. Um, but I, I have a difficult name, and it's it's more popular now. But listen, I'm 45. When I was a kid, although there was another bad creation, Aisha, it was not a very popular name, and nobody. And my mother also misspelled it. <laughs> so that's a, its own other thing. I won't well, go into yours that. Yours is A E. And right. the common it's would be A Y. Y E. A Y E. Yes. But my mother decided it was more aesthetically pleasing if the Y was in the middle. And she's not wrong about that. It is prettier with the Y in the middle, but it's incorrect. So I like have something with a friend of mine that like I just send constant pictures of like, I mean, I went to the OBGYN the other day and I've been with this doctor for a year. She delivered my baby. And when I looked on the ultrasound machine, it was A-Y-E. So I understand like how when you're grappling with that name and uh, but wanting to own it and then and then like really stepping into it. And so she didn't for me, I didn't have a nickname. I would have wanted a nickname. There's no way to shorten my name. But that thing where she was like when she was Gabourey, when she was young and she was like telling six year olds to pronounce it Gabourey or nothing and she wouldn't answer <laughs> to Gabby. And then it was like trying to do some self-healing. It was like, okay, I want to have an easier time at school. I want to do this other thing. So I let them call me Gabby. So it's like her condensing herself, becoming something for the masses and like putting a little piece of her in a box 
under her bed. And I think as women, we do that so much. And it was so just well said here of like the woman I wanted to be, the world wasn't ready for. So I had to be the person they could deal with. And yeah, so yeah, that made so intense. Once you read that, you're like, I'm never calling you Gabby again. But she goes by Gabby and like it's in her internet, you know. But when you hear that story, you're like, you are Gabaret. You are Gabaret. Every day. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's a good third rhyme. Um, Yeah. yeah, And also, I, you know, we're in entertainment, of course. But I think there's nothing more powerful than a unique, memorable, gorgeous name. That's what you want. You don't want to be another Chelsea among a million Chelsea's. You want to be Gabourey. And I think it's, uh, it's, and it's a gorgeous name. Um, okay. So there's a really tough chapter about Senegal that just for time, I'm going to skip, but you should read the book, but it's fucking tough. Um, it's, it's when it's, Oh God. Uh, it's really bad. Um, okay. Then then there's a chapter about how when she first noticed she was overweight and she was six years old and she notices it because her family's just like, you're really big, you're really big. And that's being told to her. And then she starts to see it reflected in the world. And then her mom gives her diet pills when she is uh, seven years old. And so yeah. when we flash forward to being 22 and you have an eating disorder and you're having panic attacks every day, I think we can look back to being seven and being given diet pills. No, I will say so. I, I wasn't, I've struggled with my weight, but my, my sister struggled more and so did my mom. And I remember being a kid and like, they were doing weight watchers and like the, the people knew nothing about nutrition in the eighties. Like it was just like, I remember like, and it was like, just no fat and eat all pasta. But once those triggers are put in your brain, like, I don't know there's ever going to be a world when my mother and my sister don't have thoughts of body issues, weight, dieting, and just, it's just like, but we, it goes in so young and it's just so hard to undo. Okay. So then another phenomenal chapter. She works as a phone sex operator for three years. Oh my God. It's so good. Not only is this Um, chapter informative but she gives tips like she's like listen if you need to go and do this job here's some tips to like make it work for you even down to like how to make the sounds of a giant of a vagina (laughs) yeah like you lick your hand and yeah there's a lot of you bite the inside of your cheek oh my god she talks about the company it's it's a company run by women it's every, what I loved about this is she's like, if there was a man allowed to work in the company, he had to have multiple referrals from other women <laughs> vouching yes. for him. That should be taken on by all businesses. All businesses <laughs> should have that rule. Um, and, you know, the definite heartbreaking, degrading part of this chapter is that she had to pretend to be a white girl because the men calling up were mostly white, thinking, wanting to be talking to white women. And so she could never be a black woman. She was always like some white girl named Melody. And I just think you gotta, you should buy the book just for this chapter alone. It's, it's so funny and good, but then she drops some intense, like uh, wisdom that I want to read. Okay. I took what I learned on the phone about secrets, shame, and pleasure and applied it to the real world around me. I learned how to talk to people. I learned how to flirt with everyone and everything. I learned to lead with my personality. I learned to deal with rumors. 
I learned to boldly ask for what I wanted. I learned that your average businessman works hard and carries plenty of shame as well as, as, well as self-entitlement. Also, he might be wearing panties under his suit, and that's his business. I'm not afraid to say anything to anyone. I'm not afraid to be anyone. I've already experienced the worst of people, and I've learned that we're all still human. My patients taught me to survive as number 1266, her phone sex operator number. And my intelligence helped me say yes to acting when the opportunity was presented to me. What a phenomenal mm. chapter on learning about shame and and yeah. then it no longer affects your life because you've been on the phone with people and they're jack-off fantasies. Seen. And well, and you've also, because some of them were that and some of them were people calling to talk. And so it's like, you just see the humanity in everybody. It's like, it's, it's a, everybody's struggling with something. Everybody is secretly depressed about something, insecure about something. Um, The other thing that what I love about her life and why I say her predestined is she got all of her acting skill sets in these really obtuse ways. Like she never went to acting school. She just, but this was probably more intense than any acting school because that's how you made money and you were pretending and you were being multiple people and you were using voices. And then she had this other experience. Everything in her life built her for when she was at that precipice in a way that I don't even think she could have planned. That's such a great point. And also, sadly, I'm also an actor. Um, and I, I don't even lead with it because it's a really degrading profession. There's nothing more degrading than auditioning and, and being treated like a oh. piece of shit. And she had already been a phone sex worker. And so she yeah. was stronger than that shame, stronger than that degradation. And it makes, yeah, it makes her so good. Okay. Yeah. So then, then this is crazy. Two other psychics in her life stop her on the street in random situations to tell her she's going to be famous and she's going to talk to Oprah. And then, which is so cool. We'll come back to that. But then uh, I really want to talk about the story of how she gets the role precious. Um, Because I... Insane. Insane. And I've cried. I've cried in memoirs from sad stories, but... I cried. I cried last night. Um, I cried last night out of joy and kind of reading her whole life up into the story. So I want to tell you the story really quick. Flashback in time. Her mom, her mom, who is, you know, somewhat famous from being a subway singer, is given the book Push, a novel by Sapphire. And this woman named Susan Batson is directing this movie. And she approaches Alice to be the role of the mom. And Alice is like, I don't want this. I don't want to be associated with child abuse. Someone like Monique should play this role. And Gabrielle's like, mom, what are you doing turning down a movie role? Like you sing in the subway, like, please be in the movie. And her mom's like, absolutely not. I'm not going to be associated with a role about incest. She tosses Gabrielle the book. She's like, if you like it so much, why don't you read it? And I'll see if I can get you an audition. Granted, they, they neither of them have anything to do with the movie business in any way, except for this moment. So Gabrielle loves the book, but she's like, what am I going to do? Like be an actor? No. So that's all that happens. Five years later, okay, Gabourey, her friend has this theater group at this college and she pulls Gabourey in to be a part of this theater, theater group and she's in the play Peter Pan and she has so much fun with all these like college kids. 
Then she goes through the therapy and the depression and the phone sex job. More time passes. And she's 24 years old and she's finally getting her life back on track. She can use her own tax return to apply for financial aid and she's going to get back into college. She's two weeks into college. She's like, I'm finally going to make something of myself. And a friend from that Peter Pan play calls her and says, there's a movie and they're auditioning for, for the role of Precious. Have you ever heard of this book? And she's like, I have heard of this book, crazily enough. And he's like, come down and audition. She feels stupid. She's like, what am I doing doing this? I'm in college. I don't want to miss a class. Like, I just got back into this. But on her way to school, a movie set, someone, a movie set is like, you can't go this way. I'm sorry. And she's like, this is a sign. She gets on the subway. She goes to the audition. Uh, th- this story is so funny and detailed, by the way. I'm skipping so much. So she does the audition. They're like, you're great. Come back the next day. She comes back the next day and does more auditioning. They're like, you're phenomenal. You're going to audition for Lee Daniels. She auditions on Monday. On Wednesday, she meets Lee Daniels and he tells her she, he wants her to be in the movie. And she says, as what? <laughs> He's like, as the lead. <laughs> as the lead, you're going to be a star in a movie. I cried because it was, this was such a ride and also such the experience of, of just having fucking nothing and hoping for a miracle. And this is the day the miracle happens. And I was like, Oh my God, she got the role. And then she's like, he's like, do you know the book? She's like, yeah, weirdly my mom was given this book. And he's like, you're Alice's daughter. I thought of her for the role, but it's actually going to Monique now. And she's like, that's what my mom said the role she'd go to. Um, Five years ago. Five years ago. And then she ends the chapter saying, how many psychics does it take to convince a sad little girl that she can be much more than the world is telling her she is? None. She has to be able to convince herself to show up for her own life. Isn't that beautiful? It was so beautiful. And it was the miracle her mom believed in and instilled in her. Um, Okay, but then, okay. (laughs) <laughs> so really beautiful story. Then you find out she made $30,000 making precious. Oh my God. And I, yes. I just want to say for anyone listening, $30,000 is a ton of money in this world. $30,000 is nothing. First of all, she has to pay taxes on that. So she's actually coming away with a lot less. This is not 15 what, uh, to 20, maybe 20, probably 15. Yeah. This is not what a star of a movie that is going to make millions of dollars should be paid. She kind of put the, put this fact in there without commentary, but the commentary is that they fucked her. They fucked this woman over. Precious <laughs> made millions of dollars. And she, I know. And, and then there was another horrible moment that I really hated, which is that they deliver her, her first paycheck and they do it with an iPhone out filming her. Like, what's your reaction going to be to getting $2,500? And she's like, I made 1600 as a, phone sex worker at my lowest days like yeah what do you think I am and they I just it really made me sad and being a sex worker doing the movie precious she made fifty thousand dollars that year it was more than her mom had ever made in a year in her life and she suddenly becomes the head of the household and Tyler Perry invites her to a premiere and she's like getting ready for this premiere and on her way there the the government comes to their house and they're like you're getting evicted you have to be out in an hour and so she's been in a movie she's a movie star and she's getting evicted from her house. I think this was just a perfect story of like what it is really like to be in this business. Well, the other, so the thing about that story for me that was so interesting, it, they were clearly a low income family, right? But they were doing everything right. 
the government came on a clerical error and is throwing people out of their house who don't have any... It's so crazy that it, a clerical error and you're at the house and you're kicking them out that they have to stay someplace else for the night. They have an hour to just, leave. Yeah, and it just shows like how we treat people in this country. I, I'm just like, that's so crazy. So I don't know. I, that, that's part to me. And then it was also, you know, no one handled it well. And I'm so impressed. If that had happened to me, I don't know if I would have been able to go to Tyler Perry's party. I think I would be a hot mess. But, oh, yeah, but she's had so much be- shit happen to her. This is like, yeah. she knows how to put on a face. I think what got me in that story is the way people think about being low income. Like, I think there are people out there who's like, well, if you're poor, you don't have an iPhone. Like, are you out of your mind? Payment plans and credit is geared towards not having money. Like you're on, you, you can have an iPhone. You could, you could have an Escalade on lease and be kicked out of your apartment. Like people don't know how things work. Uh, I was really infuriated yeah. that no one in this story helped her. Um, okay. So then we're coming towards the end of the book. Um, she gets gastric bypass surgery after hiding that she's had diabetes for five years yeah. and she gets the surgery without telling anyone. I really liked that. It's like her, it's just for her. Her BFF Kia. Her BFF Kia. Kia's, Kia's at the beginning of the book and she's at the end of the book. And she's at the end of the book, yes. And Kia does the surgery with her and they're both crying and, and it's a really cool, it's a really cool chapter. And then she reveals, this is another favorite part of the book. <laughs> this is amazing. I, I read it, I reread this so many times. Okay, so <laughs> Gabourey, Gabourey, when she was growing up, wrote in sync fan fiction. <laughs> and... But but not just in sync fan fiction. You just heard the life she has. So she's journaling how she's processing pain, <laughs> and she's doing it through fan fiction stories about in sync. And so when something horrible would happen to her, she would write an in sync episode, and the characters were, were members of in sync and her. But then they would be going through things she was going through in her life, like <laughs> being bullied or being abused. And she wrote thirteen full seasons. <laughs> of NSYNC fan fiction. This was, I'm sure they were like 22 episodes too. That yes. Full, oh yeah. So, she, got, she had full season orders on each of these. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't an eight or a 10 order. Like this was 22. It, if I someone mean, doesn't immediately produce the NSYNC Gabourey oh, fan fiction series, want, it is a crime. It's such a crime because it's also so, I mean, she would switch everybody out. Like it was, she was, but she was writing stories in this way, but it just, but even in that, it's so funny. It's <laughs> that, so funny. You know, and like, that's insane. That's just the, the most insane thing I've ever heard. I want, I want this so- to be an animated show. I, I know. I, oh God. I read them too. Well, the other really huge thing I love. So she talks about writing and processing her pain through NSYNC fan fiction. I've said this on the podcast many times, but I had 21 childhood journals. Like I totally relate. Um, <laughs> But she says, in writing this book, before she wrote the book, she hated her dad uh, for obvious reason. And through writing yeah. her truth, she got so healed that she talks to her dad now and they might go to Senegal. And that's how healing the process of sharing has been. And I found it so inspiring. I want to read a part. The way it happened was I just wrote the truth and it made me feel better. So I wrote more. I felt even better. After two years of telling the truth on the page, as I know it, I've written an entire book that has helped reshape my view on life, my work, my body, my family, and most important, myself. 
I used to think celebrities wrote books for the money or to squeeze a few more seconds of their 15 minutes of fame. Now I know that many people in general, not just celebrities, write about their own lives to find purpose for pain. I get it, man. Writing this book sent me straight into the arms, couch of my therapist, but it has also allowed me to see people who have hurt me as just that, people. The hurt is no longer part of the equation. How powerful is that? I know. Oh, I mean, and I will also say, like, I thought there was a point in the book before this point where her father came back in. I was like, why is she talking to that dude? <laughs> I was mad. I was like, I don't want to hear. I was like, I don't want to hear anything about this dude. And then when I got to that and I realized what she'd been through, was so I was like, okay, I guess she's okay. It's such a emblem of what writing and sharing can heal. And also my therapist always talks about how if you can make meaning out of the trauma, that's how you heal it. And yeah. what I love about that is that I'm a, I'm a writer, I'm a comedian. So, you know, the whole thing is to make meaning and it's like, oh shit, that also heals you. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I think so. The other thing I think of what, when she talks about that is how when you're a kid, your parents are superheroes. Like they just are, they handle everything, they get everything done. And then when you get a little older, you're there, you still kind of expect them to be superheroes, but then you're just constantly shocked by their humanness. Then when you get much older, you realize, oh yeah, parents aren't perfect, but you don't know that as a kid. As a kid, your, your parents are perfect. And then they constantly disappoint you. <laughs> <laughs> and this is every parent. It's every parent. It's not any specific parent because to go from being a superhero to being human is a, is a disappointment. It's a huge disappointment. And so, but it's like such the thing that we all go through because they are, it's like, even when she was little, like her dad, she said making him smile was everything, you know? So it's, yeah. So that's the part too of like, just, yeah, we, none of us know what the fuck we're doing. None of us know, which is why we read this memoirs (laughs) so they can tell us what what the fuck to do. Um, Okay. So we're at the last page. I, this really fucking moved me. All right. Okay. I knew that if I wrote a book or directed a film, I would be on my own without anything to hide behind. That's why I didn't want to do it. Fear. But here we are five or so years later and the fear is gone. I'm standing by myself in front of the entire world with my book under one arm and my film under the other. Most of my secrets, most of my shames and fears are written into them. My humanity is written into them too. And I actually don't care if someone doesn't like it. That's just an opinion. It won't ever make me less human. Thank you for reading. P.S. Yes, it is hella awkward whenever I run into anyone from NSYNC. They never want to make out with me like in any of my soap operas. Rude. (laughs) Oh, it's so good. It's so good. As as a writer, she ended on the perfect callback joke. Like it was perfect perfect. joke. Yes. Um, and then in her thank yous, I loved the last sentence of her thank yous, which is lastly, a shout out to my therapist. Get that money, girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we should say she did go on Oprah. She went on Oprah when Precious was having press about it. She went on Oprah's like last show before moving off yes. that show. And That's, she went yeah. on Oprah. It's so faded. Um, okay, so every podcast ends with a thank you. So I want to thank Gabourey, one, for being so funny. Just w- when a woman is that funny, oh my God. Like it's just, I, it's it's incredible. And I, I say a woman 
like women are the funniest people on the planet, but I feel like they don't often let themselves be and culture doesn't let themselves be. So to come in with just the funniest memoir with this much tragedy in it, wild. Um, thank you for that tweet she wrote about um, someone like made fun of her body. And she was like, oh yeah, I'm crying on the way to my dream job about it. Loved that. Yeah. And um, sharing about how how she shared all her, her shit she was afraid people would judge her for and then getting healed for it. Nothing more inspiring. Thank you, Gabrielle. This this book's incredible. I feel like we just talked shit for an hour. Or we an did hour. just I don't talk know how long this is. Yeah. Well, <laughs> wait a minute. Uh, so, okay, Aisha, um, yes. you've been you. Aisha did an interview series, and it's on her Instagram where she gives out phenomenal advice. People always want advice about this industry, and Aisha gave away gold. Um, and it's she's posting it on her Instagram. So tell everyone where they can find you on Instagram. Oh, so at Aisha Carr. But now remember, it's A-E-Y-S-H-A-C-A-R-R. There might be some other bitch, A-Y-E Carr. I don't know. So, But we don't follow her. (laughs) We don't follow her. It's A-E-Y. Yes. Uh, And so, yeah, so that was what I really liked about that. I did this talk for, like, young Black writers at UCB. And just on a whim, I was like, it was mid-quarantine when you're like, fuck, life is crazy. I don't know. I was like, let's just record it, see what we have. And um, and then I, yeah, then I got somebody to, like, chop it up and stuff. I still, like, kind of, it's, but, like, even me, like, I'm insecure. Like, I'm like, oh, my God, people are going to be like, why the fuck is she talking? And people are going to be like, Who's listening? Like it's still God. I love moments with a child. I am insecure about what I'm posting and how I'm perceived. And like, oh, she thinks she knows better. That's so. I but I love moments like these, Aisha, because when when you were coming on my podcast, I had people reach out to me being like, "How do you know her? I can't believe you got her." And and you're sitting here being like, "I, I should I put my advice out?" And pe- you're one of the most incredibly talented women ever to the, the fact that you would ever think that, but I love it. I love it. Cause we all feel that way. We all feel that way. Yeah, and if Aisha Carr I, can I, feel that way, it's okay that we feel that way Aisha too. Aisha Carr, A-E-Y-S-H-A, feels <laughs> that way every day. I mean, there is a world, like we are women and at the, at our core, I think whoever we were at whatever between like seven to like 12, whatever that was that is always here we may like shift it around we may put bandages on it we may like you know prop it up and get it together but it's always there and it's like you just kind of learn to live with that thing but and cover it up with a bold lip you cover it up with a bold lip that is you know this and listen how does it not when you look in the mirror with a bold lip you just have to smile Oh, you just have to, yeah, you're like, oh my God, I'm badass. Um, Aisha, thank you so much for coming on. You're my favorite. I adore you. Everyone go follow her for more of these gems. Hopefully Aisha is going to tweet that tweet and we can all go follow her and wait for it. So we're going to take a little break. But when we come back, an interview with Gabrielle. Welcome back. So now we're going to play some of our interview with Gabourey. Okay, first off, thank you so much for doing this. My mind's still kind of blown. Um, I I just told Aisha this, but um, I 
I cried when you got the part of Precious in the book. <laughs> the which you is, know you knew what happened? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I did. You're right. It was not a spoiler. Um, yeah, the 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 ride you went on, and I think having like read about your entire life, that when you got it, I was like, she booked it. She booked the part. <laughs> um, I've already seen the movie, obviously, <laughs> but your book is just so so good, and I bring that up to say you did not use a ghostwriter. You wrote this thing yourself. I did. Uh, <laughs> it is, but that's huge. There are so many memoirs that even, you know, a, a ghostwriter is not credited, but they secretly worked with one. You wrote this whole thing by yourself. Your voice is so funny. You come across fully in it and you're such a good writer. Okay, so can you tell us the decision of like how you chose, like, I'm not using a ghostwriter. I'm writing this book on my own. Thank you so much. I'm so glad that you enjoyed the book. I'm, uh, thank you. I'm like weirdly getting misty about it because I did. Yeah, I, I wrote it by myself. I didn't have a ghostwriter, which is, if I'm being honest, that's that's like my biggest flex. <laughs> I I didn't have a ghostwriter, and I I remember my book agents were like we can get you a ghostwriter. You can write it with someone. Here are your options. And I was like, absolutely not. You knew because, right away. Yeah, I knew right away because I'm, um, not that like my voice is so specific, even though it is because I think everyone's voice is really specific. I don't, I get a little, like there are a lot of like Instagrams that claim to be me or Twitters that claim to be me and every single one of them have gotten cussed out because I do not like it when people pretend to be me. Like, because they always get it wrong. Like a lot of this stuff will be like, um, Oprah is my hero and like, God bless my fans. And I'm like, that don't even sound like me, sis. Bless me. <laughs> like, you know? So like, I knew that no matter what, like any ghostwriter was just not going to be my authentic voice I felt like it would get in the way and so yeah I took three years sat down and wrote every single word I, that should just be shouted from the rooftops because almost every but I can't even think of one memoir that doesn't use a ghostwriter so we everyone should know you did not use a ghostwriter and it's written better than most memoirs and you do a very distinct voice because you're very 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 funny i t i said this before but like it's it's such a funny book you sometimes don't realize the crazy shit you're reading <laughs> you'll be like i'm laughing so hard and then you're like whoa this is nuts like that tola story is nuts but i'm like laughing my ass off because you're so funny about it my therapist says i'm cartooning so <laughs> you know what <laughs> you know what it works for me. Wow, so. your therapist is raw. <laughs> yeah. I have a question from the book that I want to know. One thing that I loved is all of these other babies that you like just took and were like, I love this baby. Are you still like that with kids? Because you just seemed like you loved all of your brothers and they were just, a baby was brought in and you put it on your lap and you loved it. Yeah, because I was a kid. I was a kid at the time and they were like, I I was the youngest as far as I knew until like everything sort of blew up. I was the youngest. And I remember like wanting a baby to play with, but also like I was raised Muslim for a while. And so my dolls were supposed to be my baby and a baby looked like, oh, real practice. Right. For, like the woman I'm supposed to grow up to be. And so I like them. I like them a lot. Um, do I still like babies? 
I absolutely went through a period where I was like, I'm going to break it. Or like, <laughs> like my favorite part of a baby was giving it back. Yeah. And now I'm moving into is where I just, I want, I want a baby now. Like I, want, I want a baby. Like I'm all, I'm already like weirdly I was shopping for baby monitors this morning. Oh, oh my gosh. God. I don't do anything. I'm not pregnant. I swear. <laughs> I'm not. I'm just, and I'm also like not. I'm, I'm, You're not I'm trying. Yeah. But you want the accessories. <laughs> I just want the accessories of this. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to be ready for when it happens, kind of. Like, I was talking to my brother yesterday, and he was like, did you want children? And I was like. Yeah, sure. And he was like, mm, you're getting old. Oh, yeah. right. Well, yeah. My brother keeps it real. And he's right. Right. So. Sure. I, I I love that you went for the logistics first. Like, you weren't like a cute baby dress. You're like, well, we're going to need a monitor. We're going to need. <laughs> um, okay. So you also, in the book, you joke that you're a therapy expert because you went through all that DBT therapy. You still have a therapist. You thank them in the book. What are some of your like big therapy takeaways? If you could just give over some free therapy to to people without healthcare. <laughs> one is, you know, the first therapist might not be the one. That's great. It advice. might not be the one. I think it's really important to find a therapist that you not not just that you can relate to, but that can relate to you. Because if your therapist doesn't see you as a human person, then I don't know how they really can treat you, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's a, it might take a session or two because before I found my therapist now, I actually, this is sort of stupid and it just talks to, um, speaks to how awkward I am. I started seeing another one because she was the one that was available and but my therapist wasn't available for like three weeks. And I was like, it's an emergency. So I started seeing the other one, but then started seeing my current therapist. So I had saw two, two therapists. therapists for a while because I was like, how do I break up with this one that I don't like? And then one day I just like went and I was like, oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I'll, I'll call and make an appointment. And then I never did. You ghosted. I ghosted her. Yeah. Honestly, I felt like she knew it was the end because they went to this, they were working at the same office. And oh so God. I don't think it was a secret that I was like, but to be fair, so like I'm a black woman. The first therapist was a white woman who I I don't, I don't think she really, she wasn't very helpful. We just don't, we have very, we have very separate lives. Like maybe if she was a white woman who grew up in the hood, we could see eye to eye on some things, but she wasn't. But the, but my therapist happens to be, she's a black woman, but she's also, for me, she's really great because she is African also. Mm-hmm. So she is first generation African, like American. And so like, she understands my culture and the culture that I grew up under and like what it's like to have an African dad. And and so like, that's why she's perfect for me. Not just that she's a black woman, although black woman therapy is like, will change your life. <laughs> so that's one. <laughs> I learned that you don't have to have someone apologize in order to forgive them. Ooh, tell me about that because I'm waiting on some apologies. <laughs> 
Yeah, I just, I, I, I've had anger and resentment towards a lot of things and a lot of people for the bulk of my life. And I realized that like that anger was like, it was like this the whole time, every time I think about that thing, every time I think about that person. And so anybody that even reminds me of that, like, you know, and then, I, but like those things aren't around to like, I need to be absolved of that. I need to be able to relax. I need to be able to untense my body to, to bring my shoulders from my ears. But what do I do if that person no longer exists or isn't in my life? Do I really need an apology or can I step out of myself for just a little bit and see the situation from their point of view, from my point of view and realize that like you look at any bad, terrible situation from someone who was completely in the wrong from their point of view, you, you realize that they're human and that if they're human, that means that they can make mistakes or they're just, or better yet, that's how they're trying to survive because everything is about survival. And so I can, and it's not that what they did was okay. It doesn't make it okay. It just stops making it hurt for me. It's not, it's not as damaging. The trauma isn't still happening for me because as long as I keep my fist held, like, you know, and you know, I'm tense, the trauma is still allowed to happen if I let it go, that's when I can heal. And that's just, and that's, that's pretty much, much what that means. You don't have to, I'm sorry to forgive. That, that was beautiful. really incredible. I feel <laughs> that oh. I, I, I just went through like 10 events in my life. I'm like, all right, all right. They're just trying to survive. Um, no, that is really healing because it is, you know, anger only affects you unless you're taking it out on someone. But if you just have anger, the only person that that's hurting is yourself, but it is tough to let it go. It's really tough. It's extremely tough to let it go, but it's so important. I was talking to, I was talking to my brother yesterday about, you know, trauma, like we were talking about, like going to foster care and stuff like that, but which we almost never talk about because like, I'm not, I'm actually, I know, I know what, I know what the book suggests, but I'm actually not close to my family. My family. Oh, wow. My family is my friend. I know that I know what the book suggests. Yeah. I know why it does that, but it's, but I, I didn't lie. I'm not like, and I say like, we don't have dinners. Like we, like we don't. Yeah, you did say that. Yeah. We're like, we're actually not very close, but we had a, my brother and I had a three hour conversation yesterday and we have long conversations all the time now that we're grownups, but we talked about foster care for the first time in maybe years. And because he was older than me, I was like, yeah, we didn't know where we was. And he was like, you were in Queens. And I was like, oh, shit, I was in Queens that whole time. Like, <laughs> you know, like, had no idea. And then he said something like, oh, I just wish that they hadn't cut your hair. And I almost forgot that they had done, it was like a whole thing. And, um, but my brother said, I just try to remember the good times and have the good times outweigh the bad. And I was like, that sounds wonderful. I love that for you. I would love that for myself. The only thing about that is if we just focus on the good times, then the bad times can continue to fester and be open wounds. Sometimes we have, we have to address those bad times in order to heal from it. And so like locking it up and pretending it didn't happen is not the same as getting over it. Yeah. 
That's such a good point. I really relate to the what you're saying about like now as adults, you and your brother talk to some about this crazy thing you went through, but you haven't spoken about it your whole life. I, I had a similar experience with my brother where like you talk about things where it's like, why have we never spoken about this? It's taken 20 years. I wonder what that is with 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 trauma and with going through something and why you don't acknowledge it to each other. I think that's just more survival. Cause it's like, cause whenever we were, we got back, we were still that age. So like, it was like, that shit was crazy. (laughs) We don't even have that language yet because we're still children. And so you just, you can get used to anything. You just go back to life and you just, and it doesn't, it doesn't even sort of register that that's a thing that you need to talk about. Also, we don't get like, if therapy was, was a requirement, that would be great, but it's not. A lot of times we have to find our way to being like, do I need a therapist or am I crazy? I don't need it. Like it's a, it's a struggle to get to like, you don't even know that those things are important to talk about. But at the time, they're not like that wasn't important to talk about when I was seven. It was other stuff going on. Yeah, Yeah, I wouldn't have been able I wouldn't have been able to heal from it. Now I can heal from it. Now I'm a different person. Now I can step inside the shoes of my parents and the system. And I can I can see it from the outside in a way that I would never have been able to when I was a child. That's a really great point. I love what you said about your therapist might not be the right one because it takes so it takes so much work to get to the point where you're like, I do need a therapist. Then you find someone. That first appointment is always an intake where you have to tell them everything. And so after that, you feel bonded or like you don't want to do it again. So you just like have to stay with them. But in reality, like a bad therapist can fuck you up just as much as a good therapist can save your life. And especially if you come from trauma, I feel like it's so important to find a trauma-based therapist because otherwise people will be like taking you through meditations and like, that's not good if you've been through trauma. Yeah. My therapist said to me today that like, you know, some therapists will just, um, that's interesting Mm -hmm. you to death for years without actually doing any work. They're just listening if that. Yes. And they give the same treatment to everyone. Like that's not, that's not fair to anyone. <laughs> like yeah. it's just not fair. Yeah. It's it's not fair. Yeah. So, and, and you're not actually getting anything done for all that. You could just be recording your thoughts into a tape recorder. You know, I, I had a therapist and I think lots of therapists do this where you're like, oh, I'm, you know, this is happening. What do I do? And they're like, well, what do you think you should do? And you're like, bitch, I'm crazy. I think <laughs> I should throw myself off a fucking bridge. What do you mean? What do I think I should do? You tell me what to do. Take some responsibility. Exactly. Bitch. <laughs> yeah. Like, come on. Like, give me some advice. Like, why am I here? I don't know the answer or I wouldn't be sitting here. Uh, I, so I love therapy and I, like I, when my father was dying, I went out and I got a black man therapist to process a year before he died. I think like sometimes it's that specific, like he's not my everyday therapist, but that is the therapist I needed to make sure that when my father passed away, I was at peace with everything that had happened before. And then I moved on. Like I'm all about different therapists at different periods of your life. Oh, I love that. Absolutely. I've never considered that. Specific trauma ones too. Yes. Yeah. Specific, you know, people that deal with death and things like that. It's it's really important because like we're, look, I'm learning that the brain, for some reason, I'm always like, I'm always like researching something. So now I'm on the brain lately and it is a bottomless pit. Like it's, (laughs) 
it's like this shit is never ending. Like we know more about space than we know about our brains, I think. And so it's, you know, doors and things like that. Like not all of not all of who I am could have been cured or dealt with by just this one therapist, even though I love her so much. Thankfully, I ha- I did have, you know, DBT and I did have therapy. I, you know, I, I wouldn't, I actually wouldn't have the good sense to go to her without all of those different therapists. That's so you know? smart. Yeah. Also, what you said about the brain, you know how there's those specials of like, there's so much in the ocean. We don't know. There are species we've never encountered. Like we need those specials. We need you to do one of those specials on the brain. <laughs> We're just For like, the take brain, us inside. Yes. Um, oh my gosh. I will say one time I read a book called The Female Brain and I just, obviously, I, I don't remember if it was written by a man or a woman, but it was just like, I don't think there's any difference between female brains and male brains. I But I believe women are superior. But it was just like, <laughs> our organs aren't different. You know what I like? It's just like, it just, I was like, uh, yeah, but I read it. I, yeah, yeah, no, I, I think our... Our emotions are the same and stuff. But let me tell you about men. They ain't got the range. (laughs) They don't. They don't. We're vastly superior. Vastly. Um, Let me tell you about men. They ain't got the range. Print it on a (laughs) t-shirt. Make millions. Um, But but for reals, for reals, you you directed an incredible film, The Tale of Four, um, inspired by a Nina Simone song, which is such a beautiful story, such a beautiful film. You can find it online. Um, Do you have a token from that set that means a lot to you? Yeah, actually, it's right here. So this is the, I don't know if you can see it, but that's the first page of the script. Oh, oh yeah. Oh. And so Kia, who is, um, sometimes we call Kia first page, last page Kia, because I I write about her on both the first and last page. Yeah. <laughs> she, she's- uh, she, was my she was my producing partner for it and she as a surprise to me she got the entire cast to write a note to me on the first page and then she had it framed and so um, yeah it's a yeah that's yeah it's a, it was a really really wonderful experience that i uh, i was really really wrong about whether or not i could do it um i thought i was incapable i thought it was too stupid <laughs> you know i had all the dumb buzzwords in my brain but i did it anyway because kia always says faith over fear and so i was just pretending to not be scared a lot yeah. and that's how we got it done and i i could not have i could not have been prouder of of the film my actors or any of you know the way it turned out well, I mean, I fell in love with Kia in your book. It's so cool to fall in love with another woman while reading a woman's book. And Kia was that person for me. And I will say, so whenever I meet women and they say they don't have a lot of girlfriends, Oof. I feel bad for him because it's like, yes, I have my partner. We birthed the child. I love him, you know, da, da, da. But you have those girlfriends that is like, just ride or die and like they know everything about you the minutiae the da 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 and you're so lucky when you have that and it's so clear that you and Kia have that it's like this is this is the person that's holding the boat together with me no matter what and it just makes us better women I totally agree very lucky you found each other I'm luckier than her (laughs) oh my god (laughs) 
Um, I love I love that you, Aisha, you said, um, I feel bad for them. Because I was going to say red flag. <laughs> red yeah, flag. so it's a red yeah, flag. Yeah, I was like, because I don't trust them, but you I don't trust them. Yeah. That's what I don't, cause, and, I'm, and I think sometimes people think that's like a girly girl, whatever, like none of that. But it's like, if you don't have that one girl in your corner that you ride for no matter what, I'm like, then you don't understand love. Like that's, that's true you love. don't. I yeah you're right if you're that's my family my friends are my yeah. family in fact like when i so like i have i have a i have a man <laughs> he's very cute he's on your instagram he's adorable very cute he's very cute and i tell him he's getting thick every day uh-huh. so, <laughs> like, that's, how, that's how you keep him ladies tell him he yes thick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he i remember like when people were like when people like first realized that we were dating which is so stupid uh people were like he's using her or something and i was like kia would whip my ass like kia would fuck me like i would be she would beat the hell out of me and we had that agreement with each other like, you know, like like we would never let each other date a scumbag at all because like you you know hindsight's twenty twenty. she would see him coming way before you know that whole thing and she absolutely has permission to uh beat the brakes off of me should i ever get involved with the wrong person and that's a sisterhood that is that's, and that they can is. see it <laughs> and uh, there's a caveat on that that i know that kia would agree with you can fuck them but you can't keep them <laughs> Sometimes a scumbag is good and bad, and like you, I hope you've experienced that, but you can't keep them. You can't keep them. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what this is. Like, even like my boyfriend was like, I want to be your boyfriend. I text Kia, and she was like, Tell him we don't do boyfriend relations. <laughs> like, Kia is very protective, like, super protective. Tell him we don't do that. We about this life, or whatever. And I was like, Yeah, but I'm. 35 so maybe maybe it's maybe maybe now and and what was their first meeting like who was the most nervous him absolutely yeah of course of Um, course because he knows he's out the door if it doesn't go well yeah no he in fact so like they met for the first time like on my birthday kind of because he was like she i had her come in to la for my birthday so we can go to disneyland together for my birthday and she was meeting him for the first time and he had gotten me a he got me a necklace uh with our the date that we got together on it his name my Aww. name and on the uh, on the side it says wwkd <gasps> which stands for what would kia do and he's like, oh. he, he like oh put her on the gosh. necklace because he knows better because he's smart <laughs> that is i he mean knew. first off he knew including the best friend in a meaningful gift like that. Wow, I love him. You yeah, know, he's a, I, I, he's I'm a like smart dude, honestly. He's pretty smart. You he know why he's smart too? Man. Is that you should want your girl to have that because then that's one less thing you have to do. Like he doesn't have to be that thing for Gabby. Like I she know he knows Kia's got this side, I got this side. And it's like it's, I'm exactly. all about like multifaceted relationships. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. He knows it, it's it's a partnership between 
him and like, it's me and him. And then it's him. And then it's me with the rest of us. It's like a, it's, it's a, it's a really like really great universe I've got. And they all understand each other. They all really like each other. They like be on, they be talking and DM and on the gram and stuff and like be having kiki sessions, which is cute. And I love it. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's a real like 30s move too, where you're like, I'm dating someone my friend respects. They are friends with each other. Like it's, in my 20s, like, you couldn't have put those parties in the same room. Because one would be, like, a magician. And my friends would be like, we don't want to be around a magician. <laughs> and they would have so, been right, and you should have listened to them. <laughs> I should have listened to them. Ooh, yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, my God. Um, I've never heard anyone dating a magician going well. Like, I've ne- I don't know any magicians that are married. Like, it's there's just an oddity. You shouldn't... And I just want to say, that wasn't, like, a joke thing i i really did date a magician <laughs> okay you know neil patrick harris was a musician and is a musician he's married oh so maybe oh thank you for saying musician i said magician oh no i said i meant magician i'm oh, okay sorry uh, <laughs> i was like i wish it would have been I'm a sorry. musician no, i meant magician like a full okay. magic castle magician um, yeah, he has like a license for it and stuff, and he's married. Maybe there's. Did you not okay. know this about Neil Patrick Harris? Did not know this. I think I remember him doing like magic tricks on like one of the shows or like like coin stuff or whatever. He's a dumb all right, Neil Patrick Harris. Okay, um, as we move in to, to close, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I want to say I was really moved how you acknowledged that you were afraid to share these life experiences and that you could be judged, but by how sharing your truth healed you, even to the point that you healed relationships you never thought you could forgive. Um, I, I, I feel intense shame about sharing things all the time. So how did you move past that point of where you're like so afraid and then you push past and do it and live in the amazing universe you live in now. It is, it is, it is honestly like really, really terrifying. Like even, I think the real terror and what's so scary about being open is that um, I always think that if I tell someone about any hurt I might've had, my biggest fears, wishes, things that I want. If I tell you things that really mean something to me one way or another, you can use that against me. And I used to believe you will use that against me. And as I'm writing the book, it became, it went from will to could possibly, maybe, and then it turned into, I dare you to use this against <laughs> me. And it's, and I don't know why or how it, like, I'm, like, I truly am. I'm very much from Bed-Stuy. I'm very much from Harlem. And the book, like, all of my life has been about survival. Always been about survival. Yeah. And so, and, and in all facets of my life. And I've never quite learned that I can put my dukes down. And so I went from fear to, I've been in plenty of situations that I was scared of and I fought through them. And like, that's how you win, you fight. And so I just decided if anyone's going to use any of this stuff against me, 
I told it first anyway. Like, how you going to hurt me with something I told you? That ain't no secret. I told you, 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 her, your mama. I told everybody. Now what? Like, you know, and it's, and it's like, and I'm at the point where like, I, I, I wish you would. And it hasn't happened because a lot of times my fears and the things that I think are going to happen and the things that I think I am are completely wrong. Although, sure, people try to, I'm sure people have tried to use things against me, like, oh, you're still fat or whatever, <laughs> you know, things like that. And it's like, ah, uh, that actually doesn't hurt that. Like, it actually doesn't hurt at all. Oh, uh, you're still ugly, whatever. I, it, it really doesn't hurt. It's interesting that you thought it would. I'm dead inside now. So, <laughs> it's a powerful place to be. It's, oh, it my is. God. It is. Being dead is so, whew, a load off. <laughs> But also, I, I mean, I, that book is like, the book's like, what, 300 pages long, maybe two something, maybe 280 or something like that. I'm 37. Like, not all of my life is in there. Like, not all of my Mm -hmm. secrets from even before I wrote the book is not there. I, the things that I speak about, the things that I do share, like, I do share, I did on purpose. You know, I know Mm -hmm. what to give and what to keep for myself. There's plenty that I keep for myself. Um, just because like, I'm a human being, like we all need things that we keep from me. Like I, which is another reason why I really wanted to write the book myself. I have control over my story. I have control over what I'm willing to share and what I'm not willing to share. And everything in that book, I was terrified to share, but I did it and I feel better for it. And it doesn't really feel like it just, it doesn't hurt. And it doesn't feel like I lost a piece of myself. It doesn't feel like I lost a piece of privacy or anything, but there's like a weird thing. So like when my boyfriend and I first started dating, like we were like, this was before our first kiss, even his dad got him my book and he was so excited. And like, Oh my God. Yeah. He like sent me a picture of it. And I was like, ah, and so I text my girl, like my group chat, and I was like, it's over for him. Like, <laughs> it's over. My friend was like, yeah, what you need to do is you need to text him and be like, so this relationship is never going to be what you think it's going to be. Good luck. Have a great life. And I was like, that sounds like a plan. For some reason, like, I just went into, it was like weird to me and it, like gross, but I also was like, I wrote a book though. Like, how yeah. am I going to, like, Barnes and Nobles is right there. How am I going to stop him from doing it? But like, you know, and then he... He read one chapter and he was like, I can tell that you wrote it because it sounds exactly like you. And I was like, uh-huh. And then he's like, <laughs> the chapter two. And then he texts me like 10 minutes later and was like, I'm going to go ahead and stop reading. I'm going to go ahead and Thank log you. out. Because I don't want to find out about you through a book. I would oh. rather you tell. Like he's... Oh my gosh. This is why you tell him he's thick. This is exactly why I tell him he's thick every day because (laughs) he deserves it. (laughs) Like, it's Uh, the smartest thing. It was the smartest thing he could do because, like, and it's, it feels creepy. I'm not ashamed of anything that I wrote in the book. I'm not. But it's still, it just, it's, there's plenty of things in the book that I haven't discussed with him yet. Um, Yeah. Oh my God. He sounds like an angel. Uh, I, like what an incredible relationship to have. And you are so 
inspire you're just so inspiring like to to go from and you said in the beginning you're like i'm not anyone's survivor i'm a fucking winner and i was like oh yeah a winner is way cooler and so to talk about how you go from being afraid to people using stuff against you which i think you know i relate to that comes from a trauma world you know where you're like everyone's against me to i dare you i just like i think i'm gonna i hope (laughs) i'm gonna replay this recording for myself um as my morning meditation because that was that's really incredible that was and i just that was so badass and your book is so badass you know i have this podcast i read a lot of fucking memoirs so i really mean it when i when i say your book is really incredible and thanks for like giving it to us and like letting us like become better through like learning from you. (laughs) Thank you. That's, that's really sweet. I just, I mean, more than anything I learned because I'm I'm not in the business of like telling people what to do. Like it's not a self-help or anything like that, but I did learn through this book and having people tell me how they felt reading it, that just telling my story, like can impact other people's story. And like, you know, they don't feel alone or, yeah. See them like, and it's just, it's just, it's the core of being human. I'm just human. I'm like, yeah, I'm from the hood and yeah, I'm black. Yeah, my body, whatever. But like, I'm actually a human being and there's no better evidence than the fact that you can read this book and having a completely different life than I do and, and seeing value in it and, and turning the value that you see into the book into the value you can see in yourself. Like that's... You know what I mean? Like, what are we fighting? It's the most powerful thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's beautiful. And that, uh, that's why that's why I love your book. That's why I love these books. Hearing someone else's story and, and what really happened is the most impactful events in my life, for sure. So, and and yours is so funny. I just want to say it's it's so moving. So it's funny. so beautiful, but it's so funny. Oh, my God, you're crying. No, now I'm going to cry. Oh, my God, Aisha, are you tearing up? <laughs> oh I'm Don't make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> you cry in the book because I cry all the time I will cry at the drop of a dime and I love that it's like and I just had to go home and cry because that's all that's what we do as women and I think that's powerful too crying is powerful yeah <laughs> it really is okay fine I won't feel bad about all it right. I won't be Don't be mad. Now I'm teared up. Also, I'm also on my period. I'm and on let's the not cut this part of the podcast out <laughs> In five oh minutes, we've been so open. We've all synced up instantly. I'm bleeding now, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my oh. God. Um, wow. Thank right. you so, so, so much, everyone. Thank um, you, Buying your book if you haven't already. Thank you. Thank you. Thank all right. You, bye, you, Gabby. So much. It was good to bye. see you. Mwah. Love you. Love you. Love you, Chelsea. Bye. bye. <laughs> Man, that episode was so fun. Talking about her book with Aisha, but also getting to talk to her herself was just such a cool experience. And I have this little, um, I have this chalkboard in my room that I write down things that mean a lot to me on it. And I probably only write something down like once every three months, like something life-changing. And stuff Gabrielle said went up on that chalkboard, you guys. <laughs> um, it was just so cool. And I want to say we're recording this after the fact. And somebody in book club, um, Carolyn Campbell, hot shout out to you. She just sent me this article that Gabrielle got engaged, you guys. So her like incredible man we just heard about, like they're now engaged. And Car- Caroline, thank you so much for sending that to me as I was recording this podcast so that we could include it.
that's all for this week's episode of Celebrity Book Club. Thank you guys for all of your reviews and all the stars you put on the podcast. I just want to say, like, one, it helps the network out so much to, like, keep this podcast going. But two, I recently read through every single one of them and... Um, I guess I cry a lot, but like I was really moved. Like these, they really meant a lot to me. So thank you to everyone who wrote something down and it's like helping form the podcast. And I'm not going to lie. I screen capped some of them and saved them for later. I put them in this little file called Joy and Love. It's like, it's a digital album in my phone. This is a hot tip, by the way. My manager told me to do this. Create an album in your phone and screen cap things that bring you joy and go through it whenever you need it. So some of your reviews are in there and thank you guys so much for doing that. I also want to thank our production team here at Stitcher, producer Brandon Nix, executive producer Daisy Rosario, and producer Corinne Wallace. You can listen to ad-free episodes of Celebrity Book Club only on Stitcher Premium. And if you want a free month of Stitcher Premium, go to stitcherpremium.com and use the promo code BOOKS. And finally, if you need any more Celebrity Book Club in your life and you want to follow um, the other book recaps I do or all the visuals I'm going to put up that go with Gabourey's episode, follow me on Instagram at Chelsea Devantes. And you can also join the Facebook group where we get even more into the nitty gritty of it all. It's called Celebrity Book Club Podcast. And thank you guys so much. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving and that you feel lifted from this episode. I literally feel like I'm a little high. Like I kind of feel like I like took Molly or something because I'm feeling a euphoria that I have not felt in the pandemic. (laughs) All right, see you guys later. 